I've been interested in meditation and have been, and have been coming to the monastery for many years now. I'm still uncertain whether to ordain or not. Is it better to be a lay person and keep practicing than to ordain as a monk and not give it 100%? The main difference, say, between the lay life and the monastic life is that a, a monk has generally has more opportunity to develop meditation because of the lifestyle. Um, in the lay life, you, you have to earn a living, you have to get your bread and butter and all the things you need, so you have to... Um, spend time and energy on that so it tends to mean your your energy is more diversified you have to support yourself whereas a monk um, is able to survive because of the kindness of the lay community they support so in that sense there's certain one has to be very patient one can't always get what one wants in, in the same way as a lay person but one has the opportunity to practice because one can live a peaceful life in the monastery so it's probably um, more ideal for developing meditation. Um, so if one reaches a point where one feels one can gather one's energy, and also if one sort of, usually people come into the robes, they have a strong sense of the sort of the uncertainty of life, and you know, in the, out in the world, very uncertain, and um, they really want to sort of gather their energy together to, to put effort into their meditation. Might bring someone into the robes. Is it possible that it is not ideal for some people to become a monk? And is it better for them if they're not really ready to stay a lay person than to ordain and not be truly happy? The important thing, really, if you come into the robes, is you have to be ready for it or have a certain readiness. Um, So coming, uh, continuing on from what he was saying earlier, you know, you, you've contemplated it, you sense the, the uncertainties of life, and uh, you really want to dedicate your time to, to the spiritual practice. But also, on the other hand, to be to say to be ready, your mind will never be fully ready because there'll always be a few doubts, always a few concerns. Um, so in that sense, you might. You know, most people who come into the robes, they get to a point where they have enough, enough energy and enough um, determination. They think, well, I'll give it a go, and then they give it a go, and you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes not. Because if you wait forever to be ready, you know, often that that moment will never come because your mind will never allow yourself to be ready. So it's a sort of a mixture. If if you don't, but if you know you really feel it's not not the right time, well, you just carry on practicing as a lay person. And be patient with the difficulties and you know, living the lay life and trying to meditate as well as earning a living in that. And maybe things will gather together and at some point you reach a point that maybe uh, this is the time to do it. Um. Any other questions? Contai me, Elijah, tell me. Tell me. We The tradition of offering flowers and began when the Buddha was alive. People would come, as you would expect, to make offerings to worship, to venerate the Buddha and recollect the qualities of the Buddha. So one of the ways they do that is by offering flowers. Um, and so that tradition hasn't stopped even though the Buddha died. Whereas food, obviously when the Buddha was alive, people would bring food to offer to him. But since he died, that tradition 
in, in many many Buddhist Buddhist communities to stop because the Buddha he's no longer with us, so the, the, there isn't the need. It's not, it's not necessary to offer food, but one can, the tradition to offer flowers still continues as a way of recollecting the virtues of the Buddha and seeing the Buddha as something very high to place flowers, to respect for that. I'm a little confused about the teaching in Buddhism that we have to be a good person and act, speak and think in a wholesome way. But at the same time, uh, everything is not self. How is one meant to practice along both of these teachings at the same time? The, the teaching of not-self is very much at the heart of the Buddhist teachings. It's the, you might say, the highest level of understanding is, is this understanding and seeing of not-self in all phenomena, physical, mental phenomena. But one has to develop the mind to the point where it can see that and understand that. So it's a staged or gradual training, a gradual practice in Buddhism. And the Buddha said, because we have this sense of self, we're born with a sense of self, um, the first issue or problem we have to deal with is um, the coarser kinds of suffering come, that come from the, when this, this sense of self leads us to do things that bring us suffering. So like saying, doing, even just thinking things that bring us suffering. We have to deal with that first. Um, so we have all the teachings about how to live in the world in a virtuous way, a good way, to act, to speak, to think in kind, good ways, to avoid doing things which create suffering for ourselves and other people. So that's the, the first level of teaching, the first teachings that you'll hear in Buddhism. From that you develop a sense of well-being and happiness, and, which is what we all want. We want to be happy in the world, in our families and in our work and what we're doing. Um, so you could say on this first level you're letting go of the, the coarsest sense of self that makes us uh, do things uh, in anger or out of greed which causes ourselves and others a lot of suffering. But as you develop goodness in this way you, one will also notice that the sense of self will still be there, just be a more subtle one. One can do good and is living in a good way, not creating much suffering within any other people or oneself, but still there's, there's still some suffering there deep in, inside one's heart. One still experience one's, some suffering because one's still living in the world. One has to face old age, sickness and death. So this is where one has to develop the mind to see or even the sense of self that arises when we're living in a good way, in a way where we're, we're not harming anyone else, harming ourselves there's still some suffering with that. So we develop our minds further our, through our practice of meditation and mindfulness and contemplation to see that any form of self, bad self, good self, coarse self, refined self, it's all still a source of suffering. And we're learning to contemplate to see that and let go of the sense of self. So even the sense of self that forms around the good that we do and living in a good way, we still learn to see, see the harm of that that kind of attachment. When we've done that, we've contemplated the point we can let go of the sense of self on the most refined level, well that's where we completely understand this teaching about not-self. Does that help? When I am investigating not-self, I can basically understand to one level that this body is not-self, that it's merely elements and various parts just joined together, and that, I, and that one day I have to get old, sick and die. 
But when I try and investigate the mind and my feelings and emotions, I can't seem to see clearly or understand how these are not self. It's true to, to see not self in the mental side of our experience. Our thoughts and feelings and our consciousness is a more refined and subtle thing. It's harder, so it takes a lot more mindfulness and investigation of truth, more wisdom to see that. Um, it's more obvious, more easier to see it with our physical bodies, that you know, ultimately it's not a self that we can keep and hold on to forever. So the thing to do is to, to practice with what you can see and understand clearly, and that is, say, start with the body. And you, by contemplating that regularly and seeing how really this body is something that comes from nature, from the four elements, goes back to nature when we die, as you contemplate that and understand that, well, the, the same understanding will gradually arise out of that that sees the, the mind is also uh, not self. But at the moment, if you don't see it clearly or understand clearly, it doesn't matter. You just look at where you can understand and see it. You work with that first, contemplate that first. There is a question just asking about... Um, one teacher was saying, when we make merit, we have to learn to make merit and really receive the merit of the good that we do. Tanajan was just explaining this, saying that when we do good, the important thing is to do good with a good intention in our heart uh, in order to free our heart from suffering, to experience peace and happiness. Um, and we should be aware that as we do good in life, especially when you do dana and you help people and you do acts of goodness and kindness in different ways, there are also many benefits that come to us. And there's always a danger that we can get greedy for those benefits as we're doing good. We can get greedy for states of happiness, we can get greedy for, say, wealth or other good, good beneficial things that come as a result of our good behavior, as a good practice or good karma. So as we practice, we have to keep aware of that and keep letting go of that kind of greed or attachment for merit and the fruits of our good karma so that it doesn't turn into something that causes us suffering. And if we have that awareness and we're letting go of, say, the sense of self or the greed that forms around the good we do, well, then we can experience the real merit, the real fruits of our actions. He's asking how old you are. How old? I'll be 50 this year. He says it's appropriate that you should order. <laughs> you spent plenty of time in the world now, so you know what the world has to offer. No more doubts. It's about time you spent some time in the monastery. <laughs> My dad's 92, you're only young. <laughs> you're only halfway through. <laughs> I have an inner feeling that bothers me regularly that I have to always live up to others' expectations and ideals. This gives me a lot of stress in my mind, and how do I overcome this? The important thing in the practice is to know your own mind. And that's all you can know. You can't really uh, verify or be sure exactly what other people think of you or what their views are. And you certainly can't control that. Even if you could know it, it's beyond you to really know the mind of someone else or control that. So 
the way of practice is always you come back to your own mind and what you're doing in your own life. You take responsibility for that. And your aim is to develop mindfulness and wisdom to look after your mind, to do that which is good and to let go of whatever is causing yourself suffering. Any attachments that are and harmful attachments that are causing you suffering, that's what you, you can do, you can know and you can practice with. In the end, you know, what, what other people think of us and expect from us, that's their, he said, their kilesa, it's their own attachments and their own issues that they have to deal with. We have to deal with our own mind and our own uh, practice. Sometimes I realize that this comes about because of a sense of dissatisfaction within myself. It feels like, like I, I am trapped in a box. I know that this box isn't real, but I can't seem to get out. I feel de I feel so depressed. What do I do? The uh, purpose of the Buddhist training, the Buddhist practice, is always to free us from suffering by helping to free us from what we're attached to. Uh, so literally in practice we're learning to bring the mind to a state of emptiness, emptiness or freedom from attachment, freedom from this sense of self. So uh, it's natural at times in life we do put ourselves into a box. It's our own thinking, our own views. We kind of get ourselves into a tight corner and we might feel constricted. But what, what's constricting us is our own misunderstanding of truth. We don't see the anicca dukkha anatta, the, the impermanence, the suffering, the lack of self in our experience. We're tending to attach to it with a sense of self. So obviously we feel suffering with that. So you have to f use the practice to help free yourself from your thoughts, your views, these things which are weighing down on your mind. So you use your practice of sila, virtue, you use your practice of mindfulness, and then you contemplate to help let go, let go of your own attachment to your own thoughts and views which are causing you suffering. Does that help? Does that make sense? I want to ask about rebirth in Buddhism. How does Buddhism teach on this issue? And did the Buddha say that Rebirth is the truth. Said the, the Buddhist teachings certainly do talk about. Uh, we usually use the word rebirth. Uh, he said if rebirth didn't exist, it wasn't true. He wouldn't have become a monk. Um, said when a, a human being dies, the body breaks up and goes back to the earth, the four elements. But the mind is left as long as there's what we call mental defilements, kilesas in the mind, the mind will be left and it will have to find a new new birth. It's the power of attachment and desire and what we call kilesa that leads to, to seek a new birth. And that new birth will depend on, on how the mind is attached and it's how it's been affected uh, in the past. If, if the mind is in a, say in a good space, a good state, well it might go on to have a, what we call a good birth, might be reborn as a, another human being or in a heaven realm. Uh, if it's created a lot of bad karma, a lot of suffering, well, it may have a, what we call an unhappy rebirth in a ghost realm or hell realm. It just depends. These realms exist, but it's the mind that is going according to its karma. It's seeking a new, a new existence, a new place to be born. Um, you, you could compare it to uh, somebody has a house. You build a house. You live in that house for a while. Eventually, a house gets old. Maybe it falls down or you have to tear it down because it's too, too old and too un, unsteady to live in. What do you do then? Well, you go on and you build a new house. You get a new house. And the mind is like that. It loses this body at death. It's going on to find a new body, a new life. 
Uh, that's what rebirth is. And the Buddha talked about all the different, you know, through his own meditation, his own understanding, he understood what is, what is the karma that leads to rebirth in different realms, the higher realms, the lower realms. He explained very clearly what all the realms of existence are. But he also told, taught the way out of all of that, out of this whole cycle of birth and death in these different realms. He taught Nibbana, which is the highest happiness, because it's where the mind goes, where there's no more birth and death. It's beyond that whole, say, circle of birth and death. That's the purpose of the whole Buddhist teachings. He said one thing I forgot to translate. He said, even if you can't prove about what happens after death, you can still use this teaching to help guide you to, do, to live wisely in the world while you're alive, to do good, good things, live in a skillful way and experience happiness in this very life. What Buddhism teaches is that the good you do in this life will also help you next life, where the mind goes to next life. But if you don't believe in that or you don't accept that, it doesn't matter because you experience the fruits in this life anyway. So it doesn't really matter. This issue is something people argue a lot about and have different, many different views. It causes a lot of doubt and confusion within myself. Says so the important thing with this truth is to actually just practice it's you know it's something some people might believe in rebirth some people might not but it's there's it's fruitless or pointless to argue about that that's a waste of energy and and won't get you anywhere because you're just um, arguing about something you believe in or don't believe in and you can't really prove it the important thing is to actually start practicing if you start training yourself say the buddhist Teaching is a very good way to understand this very, th this very truth that we're just talking about. Training yourself to develop virtue and to develop your skill of meditation to make your mind more peaceful, more calm. And then contemplating truth from that state of calm, you'll start to understand clearly how these realms of existence that the Buddha talked about, lower realms, higher realms, they all emanate, begin from the mind. And if you understand your mind clearly and see these different realms of existence in your own mind, your own heart, well then you'll understand how they can also exist. And when people die, they go and actually are reborn in these different realms. You'll understand that. But that can only come through the practice. Just believing it or not believing it, that won't really solve the doubt, solve the problems or the argument. You have to practice and see for yourself, know for yourself. You say you can see the cycle of birth and death within our own mind. Does this mean we can see our previous lives? What he means is not that you'll get the knowledge that you can remember past lives. It means more you'll understand the experience of the mind that is happy, that is suffering. If you're experiencing the, um, the bliss, the joy, the happiness of a peaceful mind, you understand, well, this is as if you're in heaven when you're experiencing that. But it's, you know, it's a, a tangible experience you're having right now. It's not something in the next life. If you're experiencing suffering, if it's extreme suffering, you can say, well, this is the suffering as if I'm in a hell realm. And you have, you'll experience the different levels of the mind in that way, levels of happiness, levels of suffering, to the point where you really know, well, this is, this is the, what, what the mind can experience. If I'm attached to this, this is suffering. If I attach, work the mind in this way, I practice developing mindfulness, wisdom, I let go of my attachments, I can experience peace. You understand that. You can also see if you were to die when you're suffering, extreme suffering, you know, well, the mind is not going to go to a good place when I'm suffering like this. If the mind is peaceful and happy, when you, and you, you imagine when I die, if it's this peaceful, this happy, or it's 
it's going to be good, isn't it? You can see from this very life where other lives, where they grow out of our own experience of the mind itself. Is the main aim of meditation calming the mind and developing the highest kind of peace? There's a famous teaching the Buddha gave, Nati Santi Paramang Sukhang. There's no happiness higher than the happiness of a peaceful mind. Uh, so this is the aim of the Buddhist teachings. But peace develops again in, say, stages or um, at one, at one level of peace out of another. First we experience the peace of just living a virtuous life, not harming other people, harming ourselves. Then as we develop our meditation, we learn to calm the mind, experience the peace of what we call samatha meditation, calming, concentrating the mind. That's another deeper, more profound kind of peace. The highest kind of peace is the peace that comes from contemplating to let go of attachments, let go of greed, anger, delusion, which, which cause the mind suffering. If we have enough wisdom to let go of them, see through them, see the suffering, let go, then you reach the highest peace. So this calm and happiness of the highest level, does it still fall under the law of anicca, of impermanence? This, the highest peace that comes through insight and wisdom, this is what we call visankara. It's beyond uh, the condi conditioned nature of the mind. It's no longer, the mind is no longer subject to conditioning. So there's no more um, kilesas present, there's no more attachment, suffering. The mind is still peaceful. With everything else, before you reach that, it's still what we call sankara. The mind is still conditioning, experiencing con the conditioning process in different ways. That's why we have mental proliferation, different kinds of mental suffering. Is this a matter? Is, it, is this not self? Anything that is sankara, a condition, a formation, physical or mental, is subject to anicca, dukkha, anatta. Visankara is not anicca, dukkha, anatta.